Turn with me today to Romans chapter 10 and verse 10. Romans 10, verse 10. This will be the main passage of Scripture that we will be thinking upon today. This message is the twelfth message in a series of messages on the subject of the whole counsel of God. And I think it would be good if we reviewed just a little bit before we get into our subject at hand. In our study thus far, we have seen that the Bible sets forth that the chief end of our existence is to glorify and to enjoy our God forever. And at any time when we as members of God's creation aim at a lower goal in our lives than glorifying God, we end up not glorifying him and we end up not enjoying communion with him. Then we progress from man's chief reason for his existence to that of the scriptures. And we found there that the scriptures are the authoritative word of God. And our responsibility is to commit ourselves unto that authority. Last week we dealt with the subject of what do the scriptures teach. And we found that they teach us who God is and what our duty is to this God. And that no one can perform their duty toward God apart from having performed their first duty, and that is having saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now today we want to continue this subject and show forth that saving faith is essential in knowing God. We want to ask ourselves another question. Perhaps it might be a question which you have asked before, and it is this. Can there be any saving faith where the scriptures are not known and preached. Now, let me say that again. Can there be any saving faith or salvation where the Bible is not known or preached? We're going to deal today with this subject. Are the heathen lost? What is going to be the eternal destiny of those individuals that never one time in their life come in contact with the Bible? Can there be any saving faith apart from the knowledge of God as revealed in the scriptures? Now let us answer this question from the 10th chapter of Romans, beginning with verse 10. I hope you have your Bibles open there. Read with me. We read these words. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? Now notice verse 17. 
So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Last week, we labored to establish the fact that before anyone can be acceptable to God, they must have performed their duty of placing saving faith in the God that is revealed in the Bible. Now, if that be the truth, and Jesus is correct when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me, then we need to ask ourselves this question today. Can there be any salvation or any true saving faith that enables a person to enter the eternal enjoyment of God apart from the Scriptures and faith in the Christ of the Scriptures? Is it possible for a person to somehow enter into an eternal state of joy with God apart from having come in contact with the Scriptures? And this is a question which has perplexed some down through the ages. But when we are brought face to face with God's word, the answer is an authoritative no. It is not possible for a person to enter into the eternal enjoyment of God apart from saving faith in Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible. And Paul argues this point here in the 10th chapter of Romans. Now notice how he does this. First, he points out that there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. That is, the same Lord is Lord over all of his creation. The same Lord is Lord over the Jews, the same as he is over you and I as Gentiles. And because of this, the scriptures conclude that whosoever believes in him shall not be ashamed, because whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall then be saved. Now, if calling upon the Lord, that is, submitting ourselves unto God as revealed in the Bible, and believing in his Son, trusting or relying upon the work of his Son, is what is necessary to be saved and to be brought into an eternal enjoyment of God, then Paul asks this question, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? That is, how can anyone perform their duty before God in a state of unbelief? But he doesn't stop there. He goes on with another question. He says, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Let's say this man sitting here on the front row is living over here in a particular sector of the country. And he never has a missionary. He's never had anyone share anything with him or on anything about the Bible. Now, Paul says, how can that man perform his duty? How can he believe if he's never heard? Now, he doesn't stop there with that question. He goes on a little bit further, and he says, and how shall they hear without a preacher, a missionary, an evangelist, someone that goes and shares the good news of God as revealed in his word? How can this man hear except someone goes and tells him? And he asks another question. And how shall anyone preach except they be sent? Then he likens the evangelistic message to this. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And then he concludes. So then faith, that is the faith that is man's duty to perform, comes by hearing, that is the hearing the evangelist brings, and hearing by the word of God. You see, we cannot separate it. 
So that in order for a person to be blessed, to have the mercy of God put upon them, and they become an object of grace, they must come in contact with the word of God. And that is dependent upon a minister going and proclaiming the word of God so that they may hear. And their believing is then dependent upon their hearing so that no one can be saved apart from the hearing of the word of God. Now then, this raises the question. Now, Pastor, here's a bunch of people over here who have never heard of Jesus or the gospel. Do you mean that those individuals have no hope of eternal life? My friend, that is exactly what the Bible has just quoted. There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. And God has not made a way of salvation for you and I who have heard and another way for those who have never heard. There is only one way whereby a man can enter into the eternal abode of God, and that's through saving union with Jesus Christ. Well, what about all these people then? Is that fair? Is it fair for God to deal with those who never hear the gospel as such? Well, if we were dealing with innocent people, then we could raise a question upon God's justice. But, beloved, we're not dealing with innocent people. The question is this. Is the person sitting over in the jungles of Africa who's never heard the gospel some sort of an innocent being before God? Or is that person already accountable to God for the actions that he has committed? Say that he's a headhunter and he eats the flesh of human beings, but he's never heard the gospel. Will God somehow make a way for him to enter the eternal enjoyment of God? Or is he going to have to answer to God for his actions? Now, do the scriptures teach anything on this subject? And I believe they certainly do. Now, if you have your Bibles open, hold your finger there in the 10th chapter of Romans. And let's go back to the 19th Psalm. And we will see that the individual, even though he never hears the gospel, even though he never has a Bible open to him, he still has a preacher that he has to answer to. For we read in Psalm chapter 19, 1, and find out there who is this preacher. Quote, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. Now bear the weight of this. The heavens preach the glory of God. And all of the creation proclaims God's handiwork. And this is a language which day after day and night after night proclaims knowledge to the inhabitants of the earth. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. That individual that is sitting there in the darkest parts of Africa, Though he may not be able to understand my English language, he has a language that is speaking to him day after day and night after night as he looks up to the heavens. And there the glory of God is revealed unto him, and the speech of God preaches unto that individual. He never hears the Bible. He never has a missionary ever come in contact with him. But, beloved, he has a preacher that's preaching to him day after day and night after night, showing him the glory of God in the heavens, that there is a creator and that he is a creature that must give an account of his actions to that creator. 
Now look in verse 4, speaking of this wisdom. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. That is this glory, this knowledge of God that God reveals in the heavens has gone out into all the earth, and therefore all of his creation is accountable for its actions before God. Now let's go to the first chapter of Romans, if you still have your finger there. Here Paul will bear out this same truth. What about the person who never has the gospel presented to him? Is he accountable? And will God hold him responsible? Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now let's ask ourselves this question before we read any further. Does that individual that never has a missionary sent to him perform unrighteous acts? Does he ever perform ungodly acts? He commits murder, he commits adultery, he lies, he steals, he does the same things which the people who come in contact with the Bible do. Now notice what Paul is saying. The wrath of God is upon all unrighteousness and ungodliness and those who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now why? How can that man be held responsible if he doesn't have the truth presented in the Word? All right? Listen to Paul. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are, now note this, without excuse. That is, when you look out and you see all the things that are in existence, it demands that there be a creator who brought all these things into existence. And that knowledge has not only been written and preach from the heavens day after day and night after night. But it's been put somewhere else in man, and that is in man. Now look in Romans chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15. Romans 2, verses 14 and 15. For when the Gentiles, who have not the law, that is, they've never heard of the Ten Commandments on tables of stone. They were never given the law as Moses gave it to the Jewish people. They have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, that is, when they murder or when they abstain from murder. Now notice, these having not the law are a law unto themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Beloved, we go back again to our illustration of the heathen in Africa. Say we send a missionary there to that individual, and he, through his sin of cannibalism, takes that missionary's life. Now, God says there's a conscience written in the nature of man, and that man knows that it's wrong to commit murder. Thou shalt not kill. Now, that man never had a preacher like Moses come and give him the law. 
But God has built within him a conscience that whenever he does wrong, it will accuse him. And when he does right, it will excuse his actions. And so those individuals, even though they never hear the gospel, they are still accountable for their actions because they have a preacher in the heavens and they have a preacher in their conscience. Now get this, here's the problem. This is why they are accountable. They persist in going against and disobeying both of these creatures. Man looks up into the heavens and he's given the light of the knowledge of God, but he does not use that light to seek out more light. No, the scriptures said, there is none that seeketh after God, no, not one. So whatever light that individual is given, he refuses light and will not come or desire more light that he might embrace more of the truth that is in God. He will stand against it. And that is why when I preach to you here this morning, even though you are not headhunters, if you are here unconverted, I know that apart from a divine quickening work of the Holy Spirit, you will resist the truth that I have to present today. I know that if somehow God would call me to go to the field of Africa, and I go to those individuals running around half-clothed and eating one another, I know that when I would preach to them the same gospel that I preach to you, that apart from a divine change of heart, those individuals would still be going on and say to me, Go home, go home, we don't want you here. You see, beloved, many times our missionaries, when they come home on furlough, in order to give glowing pictures and reports, they somewhat misinterpret the mission field. Don't think that the people on the mission field, apart from God's sending revival, are desiring the things of God. You can go over there and they will receive you the same way they've received many of our missionaries. They'll kill you, put you in a pot, eat you. The people that do not love God do not seek after God. That's why we must depend upon the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing people to God. So that these individuals, when you take the gospel message to them, what will they do with it? They'll do the same thing with it that they did to the preacher in their conscience and the preacher in the heavens. They'll say, "Uh uh-uh, leave us alone, leave us alone. This is then the great need of having the work of the Holy Spirit to convert the heart and give the individual a desire for the truth that is presented in Christ Jesus. Now, if this be the case, what application can be made from this truth? If there can be no salvation or saving faith apart from the Scriptures, then what application can be made to where you sit and I sit this morning? How does this affect our lives in two areas? The first one is this. This establishes the biblical basis for missions. Because an individual is lost, there is a biblical basis for missions. That is, here is our duty placed upon us as a church to spread the gospel. As Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, we as a church cannot do that in a literal sense. There is no way that we can minister to everybody in the world. But we do have the responsibility to take the gospel to every person that we can. But as there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, so when these Jews were to take the gospel out, 
They were not to judge the Gentile and say, well, that person's not worthy of salvation. And you and I today are not to differentiate between persons and say that we are not responsible to this person over here. No, my friend, we have a duty, as Paul would say, I am a debtor both to the Jew and the Greek. As much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. Because people are lost and without Christ and the gospel, here is the basis for sending forth laborers into the vineyard. This is the basis for sending forth individuals to various sectors, whether it be in this country, this area of the United States, or to a foreign land to preach the gospel, because some of them are going to be converted unto faith in Jesus Christ. So here is the biblical basis of missions. Now, the second application of this truth is this, and I think it is the more sobering, if there could be anything more sobering. Do you realize, beloved, that your salvation, even though it was framed and planned and printed in the eternal counsels of God, do you realize that in spite of that, someone came as a messenger from God and shared the gospel with you? Do you realize that? There was a human instrument involved somewhere, somehow. How many of you can think back and remember who it was that introduced Christ to you? Was it some preacher? Maybe it was your mother. Maybe it was your dad. But someone used the gospel and introduced Christ to you. Do you not see that you are far more privileged than that person who was not raised in that atmosphere. And that brings us to the second application of this truth, and that's the result of rejecting the light which God gives. Beloved, if you are here this morning and you have reason to call yourself a child of God, God has given you much more light than he's given some. What does that do for you? Does that humble you? Or does that give you a spirit of pride? Do you see that you could have been born in darkest Africa and not here in Osceola, Missouri? Did you do anything to determine that? Did you send up a message to God and say, God, please put me here in Osceola. I want to be there because I know there will be a gospel preacher there somewhere. No, you could very well have been over there. You that are sitting under the sound of my voice this morning, you are privileged people. Because there is a gospel messenger that's showing you the object of salvation this morning, and that object is Jesus Christ. How many millions are walking around today that know nothing of this gospel? Jesus is just a byword if they have ever heard that word. I want to give you this as a warning also, that God sends his light out into the world, but when that light is spurned, he withdraws it also. You can follow the history of the gospel and find that in different ages there have been those people that we have been referring to as the heathen this morning who once had many missionaries dealing with them. Go even to the depths of the jungles of Africa and you can uncover ancient shrines and monasteries where missionaries went and shared the gospel, but they eventually spurned it and said, we'll not have this anymore. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this. Let us beware as members of the First Baptist Church of Osceola in assuming that we will always have the light of God here in this city. 
regardless of how we react to it. I ask you a question, where is the first church in Jerusalem today? Where are the seven churches that were described in the book of Revelation? Where is the church at Ephesus? Where is the church at Rome? They have long since disappeared. Oh, but you say, Pastor, don't you know that the first Baptist church of Osceola is more than a hundred years old? It will never disappear. My friend, if God withdraws his light because we as individuals spurn that light as a church and as a community, there may come a time in this community right here when this will be nothing but an empty building filled with hay, or this building may be completely raised and there will no longer be a building here. There may come a time known only to God in which this entire community may be as barren as an Arab community is today in the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What am I saying? Simply this. We people who have had God's mercy and goodness shown upon us, let us not spurn and neglect that goodness. Let us not be lifted up with pride and assume that we shall always have this. If we despise the light that God has given us, let us learn a lesson from history. God may withdraw that light from here and go over there to those heathen in Africa again and start evangelizing there. And leave us just like he did the early Jewish people when he turned from them and went to the Gentiles. That's a sobering thought. To think that because that we are a refined and dignified people and would not dare to commit some of the horrible atrocities that other people commit. You say, Pastor, you don't mean that could ever happen here in the United States of America. Oh, my friend, look around you. There are things going on in the United States of America right now that are as heathen as what we have been talking about this morning. And don't think that God is obligated to continue what we sing about in the song, God Bless America, when America spurns his offers of mercy, spurns his gospel preachers and says, do away with them. We want them no more. Don't think that this great land cannot become as barren in regard to the gospel as the Arabs and the African countries have become, or whatever country where the gospel once was and enjoyed some fruit. And then they spurned it, and God said, all right, I'll take it away from you and take it over here. You can search through church history and see the circle that the gospel has made. It has gone out from one country into another. And as those countries spurned the gospel and said, we don't want it, look what the spiritual condition is today in those countries. Go to England, from England to France, from France to Germany. Follow the progression of the gospel, and then even to the United States. And follow when those countries turned against the gospel, and you will see what their spiritual condition now is. I maintain with all of my heart that there could never have been a Hitler there could never have been a Germany like it was had they not so spurned the gospel of Jesus Christ, which once was preached throughout all their cities by Martin Luther, who would stand and proclaim the truth of God. But when Germany turned against that gospel, my friend, you see what happened. They spurned the light that they once enjoyed. That same thing can happen here in the United States, but even more so, it can happen in your life as an individual. You've heard the gospel proclaimed in this church maybe for many, many years, but it's never meant much to you. Do you think God is obligated to keep giving you the desire to come and hear it? 
You may wake up some morning so hardened and say, I'm through with it. I'm going my way. Oh, my friend, that will be a terrible situation to find yourself in. But remember, God is not obligated to keep giving you more light. He will hold you responsible for the light that he gives you. He gives to all people ample light to make them responsible for their sinful actions, whether it be those who never hear or those who hear dozens and dozens of times. Don't think that just because you've been born in Osceola, Missouri, and there are good churches here, that you will always be blessed with the ministry of the gospel. No, my friend, that gospel may be withdrawn, and who knows what the future may hold. Look at the history again of countries and individuals that have spurned the gospel. I close this morning with this illustration. I believe it was Felix, one of the kings that Paul went to, and he reasoned with him of righteousness and judgment to come. The Bible says Felix trembled. He trembled. He said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You go on your way, I'll talk with you another time. We read that John the Baptist loved to be heard by Herod. Herod wasn't a Christian, but he loved to hear John preach. But he ended up cutting off John's head. Felix trembled when the gospel was presented, but he said, Go on, some other time, when it's more convenient, I'll call on you, Paul. And then you can come and preach to me again, and then I'll listen to what you have to say, but not now. Where do you think Felix is today? Where's Herod? Those who despised the light had the light withdrawn. Where do you stand in your relation to your duty to God today in the example of saving faith? Have you placed it in Christ? Or are you even here this morning spurning the light that is given to you, the offer of mercy? You say, no, I'll go on. Some other time when I get around to it, Pastor, then I'll call for you, and you can come over and tell me how to be saved, and everything will be all right. You don't know that, beloved. You don't. You neglect salvation today, and there may be, never be, another offer given you. Let's stand together.